Welcome to Dermatology Morning Commute. Why won't my patient just stop scratching? The burden of Prigo nodularis. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Sean Quatra and Dr. Serena Amira continue their discussion on nodularis with a focus on the symptom burden of the disease and its effect on patients' quality of life. On September 29, 2022, after this podcast series was recorded, the FDA approved dupilumab subcutaneous injection for the treatment of adults with nodularis. This is the first approved treatment for PN. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash pnodularis2. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Quatra is an Associate Professor of Dermatology at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Baltimore. Dr. Elmira is an Assistant Professor at Harvard Medical School and part of the faculty in the Department of Dermatology at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Quattro will begin our discussion. Serena, welcome back. In this second episode, let's talk more about nodularis and what our patients are experiencing, as well as how we're treating our patients, what works and what doesn't. So a few things we'd like to start out with is let's talk about all those symptoms. Obviously, itch is the number one the dominant symptom, um, but beyond itch, uh, also there's symptoms of burning and stinging and pain. And me personally, I found that there's a really big variety in terms of the type of itch patients are experiencing. Is it constant? Is it only um, at certain times at worse at night? And then some patients have this intense burning and other sensations. So I want to pick your brain, Serena, about what you're hearing in terms of symptoms. Yeah, I think it's a very similar panel, Sean. People, um, you know, I've had people tell me that it just feels like many bug bites, that some something is biting them over and over and they don't see a bug. They don't think it's a bug, but that's just what it feels like. You know, occasionally I'll have patients who discuss you will describe burning uh, or tingling, prickling, all of those sensations can go along with this. And, you know, touching upon the kind of duration of symptoms, as you've suggested, it, it's, it's really, there's a wide variety. I mean, some people, they just say they're itchy all day and that it's always worse at night. Right? I think that's many, many itchy things, um, probably just because of neural gating and how we process itch and, and, you know, sensory input, but, but that, you know, as they're relaxing at the end of the day, they just feel like their skin is being attacked. Right. And they can't control or reduce that intensity. Um, you know, many people, I think I've had, you know, one patient who, you know, always said that come 6 p.m. when she'd get home from work, she would need to take ice packs out of the freezer just so she could, and she would literally tape them to herself all down her arm and her shoulders because she would just feel so itchy. And it was the only thing for years that would actually help her. And she just knew like clockwork that, that that's where it was going to happen, you know? Absolutely. And so you bring up a great point when you start talking about ice packs. So usually when I hear 
uh, patients talking about uh, ice packs, then I, that is a clue to me that there's a very important role for the cutaneous nerves. And what we know about pragonagularis is that in the epidermis, we have a little bit of a dropout of our nerves that go through, but in the dermis, the right beneath the upper layer, we have a lot of these nerves that actually become super coiled. And when patients scratch, they're oftentimes scratching off some of these nerves in the epidermis, they're going so deep and they're getting so ulcerated the nodules. And then these dermal nerves are getting so, so thick. So it kind of explains how and why they're experiencing such a significant sensation there that they need something like, you know, the cool ice packs to be able to have that temperature a dysregulation to just distract themselves. So that's been one of the things that I have appreciated a lot also is that there's so many sensations here. It's itching, but really it's burning, it's stinging. And um, there's a, a lot of variety in, in how the patients are experiencing those sensations and how uh, they're dealing with it. And like you said, the quality of life here is completely disrupted. Actually, we did a study comparing the quality of life, which is obviously largely driven by the itch. And it was as severe as stroke, congestive heart failure, several other like very systemic uh, severe diseases. Uh, that have much more attention and much more uh, emphasis placed on them versus many times patients report that they feel they've been dismissed by others. They said, oh, you're just itchy. And to be honest, Serena, even people have told me, oh, you're a doctor who studies itch and they've dismissed the symptom. So to me, I think there's a special toll that gets placed on patients. You know, pain is very analogous to itch. And it has so much more importance in terms of disease recognition. Oh, you're having terrible pain. That must be so difficult for you. What I'm hearing is that you have this intense itch. Oh, it's you just have itch? Just stop scratching. Yeah, yeah. No, it's terrible. I think actually it was your study where I, you know, I, I remember reading that, you know, the impact, right, in terms of the burden of disease, the impact kind of on quality of life by various estimates was even similar to COPD. Right. Like who would, who would really think that you would think if you couldn't breathe <laughs> and you're having labored breathing, but, but people with nodularis are that impacted. And I want to, I actually want to highlight and build some, you know, build on something you just said, which is, you know, these patients are experiencing the symptoms you know, which are severe enough, right? That they often have, they can't sleep at night. It wakes them from sleep. They become in and of themselves a bit more anxious, a bit more irritable. It it can certainly have that impact. Um, And, you know, patients with prygonodularis do suffer from increased rates of of depression and anxiety compared to patients with even other inflammatory skin diseases. And so I think it's important to recognize that, but the relationship they have with people around them often makes it much, much worse. Uh, You know, in the sense that there's almost that lack of sympathy, you know, that I don't even want to say sympathy, but the lack of understanding because it's just itch, right? Yeah. Uh, that makes it harder to to digest than if somebody was in chronic pain. So can't really emphasize that burden enough. 
I want to take a second to briefly, if we can, Sean, address, you know, what are some first line things that people, you know, that, that physicians and various practitioners can, can do for these patients. And, you know, when they start to fail, we'll talk about moving on to more aggressive or systemic therapies. But, you know, many of these patients, if they just have localized disease to like one extremity or, or both, you know, um, or to just focal areas that are chronically aggravated, you know, a good ultra potent topical steroid, even under occlusion for a brief period of time can be very helpful. However, you know, I would say that to me in my practice tends to be more adjunctive than what ends up really helping these patients, particularly if they have more widespread disease. And there are other things we can use like the ice, right? Like using cooling techniques and other things. Are there other things in your practice that you've, you know, that you feel pretty strongly about as um, kind of initial or adjunctive agents? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, you know, topical steroids have been around forever. You know, dermatologists are very experienced using them as well as many other docs. And I absolutely will give them and use them. And the problem though, I, what I see is in Paragonagularis is that it's very difficult to get the medicine to where it's needed in PN. And there's several different reasons for that. So the first thing is, if you think about an actual nodule, it's very, very thick. And the outer layer there is all thickened skin, dead skin. You have the really thick epidermis. And then you have a lot of this action going on in the dermis, a lot of inflammation, a lot of fibrosis and all of that. So to be an effective topical agent, uh, especially a topical steroid, you have to penetrate through those layers. So that means you'd have to use way more and you also, like you said, have to do it under occlusion. So when I use topical steroids, I like to try to use the steroids in a tape so it can actually get in there and right. on there for a really long time. The problem is if you have a lot. So you have a problem first with getting the steroid to where it's needed. And the second problem is if you have so many different nodules, then what are you going to do? Have like, you know, 50, hundreds of spots and you're going to just get the tape on those nodules, but then two thirds of patients also itch in the nodules and in the non-lesional skin. You know, we've done studies showing there's inflammation in the non-lesional skin, there's inflammation in the blood. So then it's just pretty difficult. So oftentimes we start with, you know, say triamcinolone or a big 450 gram jar. Um, we use the high potency ones, but to be honest, I've had very uh, limited uh, success with it uh, for that reason. If it's a little bit more limited, so especially less than 20 nodules, then then maybe that could be more effective. I've also tried non-steroidals, um, some of them that are approved. So the calcineurin inhibitors, I found do very little, especially to an actively inflamed excoriated nodule. Uh, some people have mentioned capsaicin, but to be honest, that's not really an option when it's open and excoriated. It'll just make them burn so badly. Um, sometimes we use other uh, agents you're talking about, like anesthetics. But again, if it's openly inflamed skin, sometimes I hesitate. That's more for, for normal appearing skin. Uh, so those are some of the different things uh, that I try to do. Uh, but I think there's a big void with topical agents. So what I think actually is the most useful locally directed therapy is the uh, intralesional steroids. And mm -hmm. so the intralesional, like we talked about, here we're able a little bit better to get the medicine where it's needed because you do the injection, it goes through that, that layer of dead skin and thickened skin, it gets right into the action um, in that epidermal dermal layer. 
there where those inflammatory cells are at. And uh, when I when I've done that, I had pretty good results. But again, how many can you do? You know, you, you can't do more than say 15 to 20. And then also in skin of color patients who we know are disproportionately affected by uh, PN, you have to worry about hypopigmentation and some of those other factors. What's your experience been with that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. This is, you know, why I bring it up where it really has to be a limited number of nodules or a very localized area where I find these, you know, interventions, you know, ultra potent topical steroids, uh, you know, under occlusion versus intralesional. I agree it can be helpful sometimes for residual nodules, you know, if they're on some other therapies. I completely agree with you with respect to capsaicin. Often you can't get it where it needs to be and it burns too much. I will sometimes use cooling um, agents, you know, things that have menthol in it. For some patients, they find that helpful. I'll tell them to put it in the refrigerator when they put it on to give them some relief. Quite frankly, nothing works better than ice (laughs) or a cooling towel for, for some people. You know, the other thing that I will actually do for patients, if it is in a reachable area, for example, I will, where their itch, you know, is in a reachable area. I will, um, I will sometimes compound neuromodulators such as gabapentin or duloxetine or other uh, amitriptyline, you know, lidocaine, as we've talked about other anesthetics, but I will compound them you know, in certain situations, but that's where you really have to be attentive to the particular patient, right? They may be better off on something systemic, but maybe they don't want to take it because of the sedative effects or, you know, interactions with other medications. So using a topical uh, version of it can be helpful, again, in a limited area. The other thing to think about when you're selecting a patient for that is often those are not covered by insurance right? So there's a huge cost, you know, aspect to getting compounded medications. But I will say that in the right patient, you know, it might be, it might be useful. And so I will certainly try to, you know, to incorporate those when I can. Uh, There are some patients also where I will use, you know, phototherapy, if they are so interested, again, that brings with it a whole number of, you know, kind of patient oriented questions, like how accessible is it for them to get to phototherapy? Do they have the time, you know, and the ability to afford the co-pays if there are some, you know, for three, you know, two to three time a week uh, therapy. And I will also say that for my patients who have more widespread disease, it rarely, right, is is a truly effective modality for all of their symptoms. It can be helpful in some patients, but I think in general, you know, topicals, intralesionals, and um, and even phototherapy play a relatively limited role in managing patients who have, you know, anything beyond very mild, you know, PN. And I believe that that's a big misconception. So a lot of um, dermatologists and docs, through no fault of their own, were trained to start topical steroids first, potentially phototherapy, wait for about, say, 30 sessions to see how they're doing. And in my view, unless it's extremely limited disease, it's pretty hard to have the disease under control. And actually, I think... Phototherapy, similar uh, to steroids, requires uh, penetration to be effective. And these that layer of that dead skin, that outer layer, actually, I think, makes the phototherapy less effective overall, especially narrowband, 
in Paragon Angelaris. And then there's the other option of uh, doing PUVA therapy, which is where, you, you know, as you know, the folks take Sorolin and then get UVA light. But if you have more than 250 of those treatments, then that can make you more likely to get skin cancers. But sometimes I found that is more effective to be able to, to get the actual light to where that inflammation is. Um, and so what my big thing is, I don't want folks to be stuck for a long time trying topical therapies. You list a lot of great agents and there's other things even off label like a topical jack inhibitor, et cetera, that can certainly be helpful, but we can't get a lot of it. We can get 30 grams, we can get 60 grams, but can we get a lot more than that? Which if you have a significant body surface area, you're not able to appropriately cover all these areas. So uh, we want to make sure that folks are not getting uh, therapy that's delayed. And in my experience, it's been many, many times that folks have been stuck with the topicals and it's been even years. Have you had that happen where it's been really long time? Yeah. I mean, I just had a patient this week, um, no joke, who told me that she has been suffering from P what ultimately turned out to be PN, right? When I saw her uh, for 10 years and she basically has just been using triamcinolone and, and, and ice, right? So I think it's, you know, this is actually what we really, that's a, a really important take-home point, right? That it's okay to try these things, particularly in localized disease, but for most patients with PN, the, the burden of their disease is such that we we need to recognize that there are additional modalities that should be used. So whether if it's simply even a, a um, distribution, right? Like just the fact that it's so many places and it takes hours to put on topicals to cover all these areas. And some places, you know, patients will have a hard time reaching and they'll still have some time, you know, they'll still have symptoms. Um, and, and really, you know, we don't want people to spend months and months and months in a therapy that brings them minimal, you know, benefit. Totally. And it's actually, uh, in addition to having minimal, minimal benefit, what I found is a big issue is that folks sometimes are given topical steroids and they're just saying, use this for a long period of time. And folks are using these topical steroids, even if they get the big jars, the big trimcinolone jars, the medium potency steroids, they're using it over a huge swath of their skin long-term, even without breaks, when you're supposed to absolutely have those breaks. But I personally have seen so many folks who've just been doing this nonstop and they have some side effects. They have local uh, skin atrophy. They have uh, areas of telangiectasias that uh, they have all of those things that have happened. But also I, I've seen and heard stories about patients who've had uh, more severe symptoms. I was recently at the uh, National Eczema Association meeting and got to talk to many patients who were talking about the effects of uh, topical steroid and long-term use and withdrawal even from topical steroids. And, you know, we'll look through the literature and from my own experience with patients, there's many patients who have been putting this on their whole body service area. There's definitely some systemic absorption and there's many cases of adrenal suppression. And we know how bad systemic steroids are for the body and they're completely untargeted therapies. So to, in my mind, we don't even discuss the side effects sometimes because it's just automatic. Oh, if they have a rash, give a topical steroid, but we need to be having a discussion is this a targeted therapy, which it absolutely is not. Have you also, Serena, experienced and seen uh, topical steroid misuse? 
Oh, certainly. I mean, I think that's that's true not only of PN, but yeah. any chronic inflammatory <laughs> skin yeah. disease that doesn't respond to like, you know, the usual agents. I will say though, I think the landscape is evolving. And I know that we are going to be addressing that in a later podcast, but there are agents that are, you know, I will say that they are more targeted for sure than topical or you know, systemic steroids, but they are still impactful through multiple mechanisms, right? That might affect in, you know, impact both inflammatory, but also neural kind of irritation and activation. And so I think that that's something where, you know, I don't want to be as we are starting to understand, right? We are on the cusp essentially of understanding the pathophysiology of PN. And that in part actually is a reflection and progress that has been seeded by the fact that there are systemic agents that, you know, really kind of, you know, kind of adventurous or sometimes struggling, you know, physicians have given to PN patients in an effort to try to alleviate their disease and their burden. And we've learned from that. Right. So we know that there are certain cytokines, certain cytokine profiles, certain aspects of neural dysfunction that characterize or that arise commonly in PN, but that it's far more complex than necessarily one bulleted agent. Right. And so that's what we're, or one bulleted cytokine. And so I think, you know, I see why people grasp for something broad like steroids or cyclosporin. But I think the way the way I view it is that we need to get more targeted agents that still impact multiple loci of disease, but have a much more favorable side effect profile to eliminate exactly the things that you have, have highlighted, right? Absolutely. And I think to summarize, topical therapies and their utilization is something that we both do but there's probably certain patient populations that are more amenable to topical therapy, especially long-term topical therapy. Uh, in, in my mind, the number one thing is the number of nodules and then how thick they are. So if somebody has you know, less than you know, around 10 nodules or so, and they're not super thick, I think that those are reasonable situations to give it a good whirl. If the nodules are super thick, and honestly, if they're heading towards over 20, that's when I jump into systemics. Do you have kind of a similar cutoff or, or what's your kind of viewpoint just to kind of summarize how we approach that before we head into systemics? I, I would say that that is about, you know, generally, if they have few nodules, 10 or less makes sense to me. Uh, you know, very localized areas, I will sometimes use these as, um, you know, standalone or adjunctive agents. If, or I'll use multiple kind of topical approaches, if you will. But again, once it's really just more widespread, even if they still have like 10 to 20, they don't have to have over 20. Um, but if they have, you know, somewhere in that, but it's just in multiple areas, I, I feel like I am far more likely to say, hey, let's think about what are your systemic options. And then we rely on these others, you know, as the nodules are already kind of improving, hopefully from that therapy, like what can we do to get some individual lesions over, you know, over the hump if they aren't resolving. But that's where I, you know, quite frankly, use these topical agents most. Um, I really think the big take-home point here is it's great to try it for a brief period of time if there are a limited number of nodules, but the bottom line is, you know, don't underestimate the impact of this disorder and the fact that there are systemic agents that can really have a huge impact on patient well-being and improve their symptoms. 
Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. So thanks so much for sticking with us for this podcast. And the next, we'll uh, start to go through some of these systemic options. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash P. Nodularis 2. Look for all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.